Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Um, yeah, my name's Carmel, and in, if you don't know, I'm married to Marcus. A couple weeks ago, I was up here, I called him the DJ back there, and he used to be a DJ. Right now, he's technically on staff. He's the director of gatherings, and really what that means is everything that is behind the scenes um, about this gathering, that he oversees that. Um, if you didn't know, Marcus and I do a ministry at UTSA. It's called The Banquet Table. Um, We serve our coffee here. And The Banquet Table creates gatherings on campus around coffee and local nonprofits. And really why we do what we do is because our lives have been transformed by Jesus. And we want to see Jesus transform the lives of students at UTSA. And some of y'all got to help us. One of our nonprofit gatherings was The Banquet Table Meal um, it was really sweet. It's literally a banquet table. It was 22 tables long in the middle of campus at UTSA um, during Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week. And we got to feed 140 students a free meal. We deck it out kind of like a wedding table. Everyone and anyone is invited. Um, and it was free meal. And then through really just the generosity of our family here, We um, donated almost 800 pounds of food in honor or to the Roadrunner Pantry, who it was in honor of, which is the on-campus food pantry uh, for students and staff. And and so it was just really sweet. Um, Before I did the banquet table, though, I was on staff for a ministry called Young Life. If you're not familiar with Young Life, Young Life is an outreach to um, what they like to call the unchurched. So these are people that didn't grow up in the church, um, that don't have maybe family that was connected to the church, and they really just don't have a reason to go into a church ever. Um, And the philosophy is this, that just like Jesus left heaven put on flesh and came to us where we are, brought the kingdom of God to us, that young life leaders would sacrifice their life, their time, and go to kids where they were at, um, show up in their cafeterias, show up at the local Starbucks, show up in the football games, and that they would meet kids where they were at, um, build friendships with them where they were at, and love them really wherever they were at in life and in sin with the hope of earning the right to be heard about Jesus. And that saying, earning the right to be heard, practically this is what it looks like. Because I've been truly cared for by my young life leader and I see their genuine love for Jesus and how they care for me, I trust their walk with Jesus, therefore I'm willing to hear them about who he is, and I might even follow him. 
because I trust them, their walk with Jesus. That's really how I came to know and love Jesus, how I came to follow Jesus. I was a mess in high school. Um, there's another term Young Life uses for the kid that they reach. They call it the farthest out kid. So this is a kid that's maybe most hardened towards God in their life, normally reflects that they really walk far from God. That was me, honestly, that was me. Um, years later, my Young Life leader told me that uh, people's parents were like afraid to send them to Young Life Club when I was there, or Young Life Camp. I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> um, and I had a Young Life leader named Corey who befriended me, who showed up in my life, who loved me in my mess, and helped me fill in the blanks about who Jesus was and how he died for me. And I believed her. I believed her that Jesus loved me because of how she loved me. She was so filled with the love of Jesus and the specific love of Jesus towards me that I knew his love was real. I was truly discipled into Jesus. My only understanding of following Jesus was her example. It was the perfect example. It was one, love Jesus with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your body, all of your strength, and give your life to others so they might also know him. So love Jesus and give your life to others so they might also know him. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it truly mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean for our lives? What does it mean for the lives around us? And last week, God, through Drew, the prayer was this. God, would you awaken us to your presence with us? And this week, the prayer is, God, would you awaken us to your purpose for us? That God has a specific purpose for each one of us. And what I want us to walk away with today is this statement, that saying yes to the call of Jesus to follow him is saying yes to the commission of Jesus to live as he did. They're not separate. So when I first fell in love with Jesus and began reading God's word, I remember reading how Jesus came to us to seek and save the lost, that he was a friend of sinners. And I remember feeling so loved and sought out by God. And I also remember feeling so distraught and like probably too angry about what I perceived as the church. Um, I couldn't reconcile the discrepancy I saw between the church, what I thought was a church, and Jesus. Um, that the church wasn't actually following Jesus, living as he did. They weren't actually going to unbelievers, taking the love of Jesus to unbelievers, being disciples and teaching them to do the same. What I've come to realize is I think people just simply don't know that to say yes 
to the call of Jesus to follow him is to say yes to the commission of Jesus to live as he did. So in Matthew, Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to lose your life in his. So what does this look like? What, what is the commission? How do we live as he lived? We're going to really look into what Becca read in Luke 10, uh, 1 through 3. If you could go there with me. It says this, that after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. So there's definitely a sense of loss of life like lamb among wolves, um, there's going to be sacrifice to some extent or, or another. But there's also this great sense of finding life. So before we break down the commission, I want to go to the end and really just look at their response to being sent out. If you can flip with me to verse 17, it says this, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So they come back. They are pumped. Like, they just saw miracles. They saw so much life happening. They're really excited about the fruit of what they have done. And he replies, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus saying, yes, you're going to see amazing things when you follow me. You are going to see prison doors open. You're going to see people's hard heart, callous heart like mine. You're going to see him melt and be softened by the love of Jesus. You're going to see people set free. It's going to be amazing. Verse 23 says this, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but didn't see it and wanted to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Yeah, it's going to be amazing, but don't forget the first miracle here, that you are loved, that you are mine. This is what Drew was saying last week, that I am with you. And when I'm sending you, it's first for you to experience me more. I'll be with you. The fruit will be that others will also know me. 
We need to be awakened to that. We need to be reminded of that, that the living God, he constantly is with us. He's abiding with us. He's not just a distant God that's like, go do this because I said. Like, go out, good luck, right? He, the truth is, he's already invested in our neighbors, in our coworkers, in their lives. He's just inviting us to go with him. Um, the resurrected Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So when we say yes to the one who calls us to follow him and to the one who commissions us to live as he did, he says, you are gaining me. I will be with you. I had this thought as I was in the word the last couple weeks, and it just kind of overwhelmed me. And I want to share it with you. Um, This is how I concisely put it down on paper. It's humbling to receive the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. For me, it's like the restart button. In Christ's death, it's really humbling to receive that. But it's also humbling to receive the commission of God. In Christ's resurrection, this is what I mean by that. To be given the grace, not just to be sent by him, but to go with him. He's alive. Not only did his death pay for my sins, that's true. The past, the present, the future, his resurrection also has given me the identity and the value and the worth to serve with him. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and was raised again he's alive and I get the honor to come alongside of my neighbors and my coworkers and my friends with Jesus um We wanted to hit on this. What does this practically look like? Let's look at Luke 10, 1 through 3, and let's just break it down. What does it practically look like to be commissioned with Jesus? How does that look? Um, We're actually going to throw it up on the screen uh, to make it a visual for you. And I'm encouraging you to take notes. My husband let me know that if I put everything I was going to say on there, it would be way too busy. So you just have to take notes because it's not all going to be up there. Um, here's what I, as I was looking at this this week, stood out to me really for the first time, and I loved it, was that before he sends them two by two, this is what he says. He says, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He's telling us, pray first before you go. Pray first. Come meet with me. Right? Right now, we are in a season of doing that. We're in a season of praying and fasting. Lord, we're saying we just want to be with you and we want to go where you're going. We want to be have met with you in a way that we're so filled with your love. It overflows to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. For some of you in the room, you're literally the answer to someone praying on the other side of the globe who's saying, Lord, it's your harvested workers. For most of us, this is just going to be a time of awakening ourselves to God's heart for our neighbors, for our coworkers, that we're meeting with God to our, align our hearts to his for our life, but also for the lives of people around us. So we pray first, and we're abiding, and we're meeting with him. We're hearing from him. What does he want to do in our friend's life? And then he says, now, out of that place, go. Two by two. Go live as missionaries. Go into the harvest. And he gives advice, which I feel like when Jesus gives advice, we should probably pay attention. And he says this. He says, when you go out, look for people of peace. This is verse 6 and 7. Look for people of peace. These are people that will open their house to you, they'll, or they'll be glad to come to your house. They will be hospitable towards you. They will be welcoming towards you. Um, these are people that are going to be willing to share meals with you, to really talk with you about what's going on in their life. Um, and sometimes these are people, because they're kind of people of peace, people of favor, you'll end up having favor with their friends too, just because you have favor with them, that they have favor with other people. And, and those people end up um, wanting to do life with you also. Look for people of peace. Spend time with them over a table, literally talks about sharing meals, learning about them, what do they care about, what worries them, what's going on in their life. And then it says, then plant the gospel. Be good news to them in word and in deed. The idea is that you have met with Jesus, that you are so filled with the love of Jesus and his love that's specific towards them, that you'll actually, truly, you will be good news to them. That you have the love of Jesus towards them. You will be good news to them. And the question to ask, because this is just the individual that you're dealing with, is what is good news to my neighbor? Like, what, what, is, what do they need? What are their desires? Um, what worries them? Do they need a listening ear? 
do they need food? Do they need money, right? Do they need to know how their lack, their feeling this lack, how it can be met in Jesus? And as you're being good news to them, you will get to fill in the blanks for them about Jesus and how he came to bring them true life. That's really what happened to me, my young lady's leader. Because she was filled with Jesus and his love, literally specifically for me. It was like I was experiencing his love, not even like, I was experiencing his love for me through her. And I knew it was real because of that. Um, There is a warning in verse 10 that some people will reject the good news. Um, Really, he poses it as like they won't even want to hear about it before you really even get to tell them, like reject. Um, And the truth is that they won't get to partake in life with God is really what it says. And that sounds harsh, but it's just sad. But I think it's good to know that the same intensity is actually spoken to believers in the scriptures too. In 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about that anything that we contribute or add onto the foundation of Jesus will be tested by fire. That there is a reality that you and I could miss out on the life Jesus intends, even as believers that we could miss out on life to the full of being filled with him and taking him to our neighbors, even as believers. So what is amazing is this, this right side is all Jesus actually asked us to do. This is it. Pray, be with him, take him to your neighbors, know them, and plant the gospel in word and in deed. That's literally the only things that he's asked us to do in the commission. What's amazing that I've learned, and I've really just started to learn this and actually, like, hear stories about it, is that as we are doing this, as we're making disciples, what naturally occurs is that churches emerge. Churches naturally emerge as disciples are being made. Drew has said it this way before, that Jesus never told us to build the church. He told us to make disciples, and he will build the church. And I really love that. What's great about this church that emerges is that they will naturally have the DNA because of how they've been discipled, to love Jesus and to take him to their neighbors. They will naturally be, this is what Caesar, who's coming next week and is speaking to our family, this is how he puts, they will naturally be families of servant missionaries. They'll be a family of servant missionaries that they will view their life as service to their neighbors because of what Jesus has done in their life. That this will, they'll have that DNA to truly multiply themselves into other people because that's how they were poured into. They'll have the DNA to really start the cycle over again 
to know that in order to make disciples, in order to really follow Jesus, that they have to first lean into him in prayer and encounter him for themselves and for their neighbors. And so this is really how churches multiply all over the world. Um, this last slide, I just wanted to throw up there as a visual, just a comparison visual of what we're talking about. I think often we hear and we think, maybe in the West or America, that we are supposed to plant a church, that the harvest is over there, here's the Christians, and we just take a few of the Christians and we create a new service time or a new building and we have planted a church right? But the truth is that Jesus never told us to plant churches. He told us to go into the harvest to plant the gospel and that he will build a church. It'll be added to the numbers daily. That we don't need to add more church services or church buildings. And, and we really just don't need to rotate Christians around to new churches, that honestly, we are supposed to be the ones going into the harvest and just plant the good news, and he will add daily to the number of the church. Amen. So I want us to consider what are our next steps for you personally. I mean, this is going to be super personal. Maybe for you... It's repentance. Like, Lord, I haven't leaned into you in this way. I haven't leaned into you on behalf of my neighbors or my family or my coworkers. I haven't truly lived in a way in which others can know you and really become like you. Maybe that's your next step is just kind of repentance in this time of prayer and fasting. I think for a lot of us, a next step is just leaning into Jesus to know his love for us and for our neighbors. That's step one. Like, we can't forget that. You, if you go out with nothing, you take nothing with you, right? And so we, our next step is leaning in to the love of Jesus for ourselves and on behalf of our neighbors and coworkers. What is his heart for them? What is he doing? What does he want in their life? And then I think the next step after that, after our hearts have been aligned with God's, is just go befriend them. Go to your neighbors, go find people of peace, go listen to them, go learn what is good news to my neighbor. And then you'll get to fill in the blanks for them about Jesus, literally in ways and spiritually, and who he is, and how he died for them to bring them life. So I'm going to pray for us, and then um, Drew's going to come lead us in time of 120 seconds. Um, let me pray first. God, I thank you that literally it's no merit that I get to stand up here. I want everyone here to know that, Lord, that it's seriously by grace that I 
even am in this room, Lord, that I know you, it's by grace you fill me. And that I, if I have anything to say about you, it's because you've spoken it to me and over me. And I'm just floored and, and thankful for that. Thank you that there are girls in here that you've taken me on the journey of pouring into like my leader did. God, I thank you that they now have that same DNA that you created this thing to really work. That you know what you're doing. Lord, forgive us for ways that we haven't aligned ourselves to your call and your commission. Lord, would you correct us? It's for your glory. Would you bring your kingdom here as it is in heaven? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Carmel, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. What, what I love about you getting to teach this message today is, uh, Jane and I, we were talking about it this week. Uh, there's not a couple in our church that does this better than you and Marcus. Um, the way that you, you guys, man, plant, I mean, essentially a house church emerged and then you raise it up and then you were like, hey, there's more people who need to know Jesus. And you essentially left that house church to go plant the gospel uh, near UTSA so that another house church would emerge. And uh, you just do it so, so well. And so I'm going to kick it to you guys in just a little bit for you just to sit with Jesus. But I, I do want to just bring this to our attention today. Uh, we're in a situation where we're trying to figure out, God, as a church family, as a body, what, what does this look like for us? Um, you can look around here. Uh, we're, we're kind of getting at capacity even in this space. And the truth is we're, we're probably not going to start a second gathering time. Uh, we just kind of wrestle with that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but just a, a small conviction that we've been talking about. Does that accidentally create two churches? Uh, and I don't know if God has called me to pastor two churches. Now, if he's called you to take the other one, then we'll, let's pray about that. Um, but what does this look like? And in a season right now where we're praying for eight of our neighbors, each of us, like praying that God would open up the eyes of eight of our neighbors, roughly about 200 people committed to do this, like prayer and fasting in this season. Like what if God actually answers our prayer and 1,600 people say yes to Jesus and are like trying to be a part of the family? Like what do we do with that? Um, and then real talk, you know, right now we have about a little over 10 house churches kind of some in motion, there, we, don't, we don't have space for us just to shuffle all of you guys into those homes. And so there's house churches that, the gospel that needs to be planted and house churches that need uh, to emerge. And we're just in a place going, God, what does that look like? Because the truth is, that's not on the staff. That's on all of us as a family. And so as we're, we're praying, here's what we believe. That just like Carmel said, God is going to awaken some of you to this reality and this truth. That to follow after Jesus, you're actually called to be a missionary. And when you plant the gospel, the churches will emerge. And uh, 
We're just praying for that gospel dream that he's placed in each and every one of you that love Jesus to maybe awaken in this season, and then let's see what happens. But we don't know. We have no clue. So really, this isn't even an answer. I'm not giving, I'm probably making it muddier. Here's what I'm asking. Would you keep praying in this season because we don't know what to do? Just to be honest with you, we don't know. And so would you pray in this season? And I think some of you are going to be the answers to those prayers. So I want to kick it to you to actually do that, not just in theory, uh, but actually right now to go, hey, take two minutes and go, God, with what Carmel's sharing with me, if this is actually truth, what does it look like for me to be your disciple and to make disciples and to live sent? What could that look like? And what does obedience look like uh, for you? So take just two minutes, and then I'll give us the next instruction. Just sit with the Lord, journal, God, what are you saying to me, and how can I live this out? Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience.